Welcome everybody to the this exciting relaunch of Rocksteady. Um, I'm the co-founder and publisher of Page Two, which had the great fortune of working with Joey on this book. Um, and I'm calling, I'm dialing in today from Roberts Creek, which is on the west coast of Canada, on the ancestral lands of the Squamish, Squamish and Seashell nations. So today we're all in for quite a treat. Um, we get to hear Hero, who is Joey's wonderful um, business mentor, a longtime mentor, as I understand it, and the person who actually brought us together, for which I'm so grateful, um, interview Joey about her, um, you know, why she why she founded Seeking Balance and how the Rocksteady program emerged for her and how it's helped her in her own life. Um, so just to give everybody a little bit of context, some of you probably have read the book and you know that Joey originally launched this book last November and we, we brought it out um, for sale. It was the middle of the pandemic when a lot of brick and mortar stores were closed and um, Joey felt so passionately about how this material would help her community that she really wanted to bring it out as, as soon as possible to help people. So we launched it online last November. And what happened was there was just an immediate, I mean, it just took off. It was clear that this book had completely struck a nerve and was um, it, you know, within 30 days or so, I think the book sold something like 10,000 copies when many book, most books, 90% of books might sell a thousand copies in their life. So it was just extraordinary. And now if you go to Amazon, you'll see there are over 300 reviews there, glowing reviews from people who say the book has completely changed their lives. It's, you know, been a blessing in their lives. Um, the same kinds of things that people say about the, the Rocksteady program. Um, it was endorsed by experts such as um, a doctor from Stanford University's Balance Center. So it was just clear that we needed to try to do more with this book. So what we're doing today for those of you in Joey's time zone, um, September 7th and September and tomorrow for um, those of us in the other hemisphere, um, the book is relaunching. We're bringing it into brick and mortar stores around the world. Um, you will be able to find it in local bookstores. Um, and I should say that the, the rollout slightly slower in the UK and Australia, but it's, it's coming. So um, please keep, just keep looking back if you can't find it yet. Um, we've also added an index to this edition of the book so that you can quickly find the material that will be most helpful to you given your own needs. And the other exciting thing that's happening is that there's an audiobook edition now. Yeah, there's the beautiful index. Um, which makes it so much easier to use. And, and there's an audiobook edition available now as well. So those of you who would prefer to listen, um, it's beautifully narrated by a very, you know, soothing pro professional voice. Um, and you can access the material that way now too. So I'll just 
quickly say a couple words of introduction to Joey and Hero before I turn it over to them to have a conversation about the work. Um, you all obviously know Joey already as the, the visionary leader and a support person that she is for people who suffer from tinnitus and vertigo. Um, as I've got to know Joey, I just think of her as this phenomenally gifted um, renegade who just has this amazing experience in as a vestibular audiology, plus this background in yoga and various other modalities that she's combined to create something totally groundbreaking and new as those of you know, who have participated in the program. And, um, you know, you're just such an extraordinary person, Joey, and it's such a joy for me to see you relaunching this book today. And Hero um, mentors visionary entrepreneurs like Joey who want to shape a world in which soul and creativity, passion and profit walk hand in hand, which is I think a beautiful description of, of who Joey is as well. So Hero for over 40 years has been a pioneer in the field of feminist entrepreneurship, holistic transformative business, energy alchemy and soul inspired creativity helping thousands of clients and students reclaim joy, freedom, success, and creative sovereignty in their business and their lives. Um, she also has developed a self-study program called Diva Alchemy Academy that is doing some extraordinary things. So I feel privileged to be able to listen into this conversation. I've heard, you know, peeps from Joey over the last two years about hero and the work you do together and I'm sure we're all going to benefit from this chance to to hear you talk about Joey's work together thank you so much thank you Trina oh my goodness Joey I am so happy to be here celebrating the launch of the second edition of your book and uh uh, and of the audiobook and celebrating you. I am so proud of you. I cannot begin to tell you just what an accomplishment um, this is. For those of you who aren't aware of it, Joey is about a week from giving birth, right? <laughs> Maybe yeah. two weeks. Um, so, and, and, and when the first book came out, when the first edition came out, uh, you were a new mom. So there has been so much uh, woven in to this book of your own feminine creativity. And at the same time, your incredible skill and knowledge and experience in the field of audiology. Um, and I was thinking about that. I was thinking about when we first began working together, um, and you were, you know, you came from this very scientific discipline. Uh, you were really uh, disappointed and sad about how limited uh, that point of view was that, that kind of shut out most of what your work and this book is all about, which is how to heal vertigo and tinnitus through neuroplasticity and through taking, um, taking charge of your own healing, being responsible for your own healing. Um, 
and there was a kind of there was a kind of tension in there and i was looking for um I was looking for a quote that spoke to that. And I was reading this book by Parker Palmer, who is now in his late eighties and is uh, an educator. And if I may, I will just read briefly from this and then I'll read a little bit from your book that speaks to that. And then I will ask you to talk about it. Um, he says, the bad news is that violence is found at every level of our lives. The good news is that we can choose nonviolence at every level as well. But what does it mean in specifics to act nonviolently? The answer depends on the situation, of course, and a thousand situations might yield a thousand answers. Yet running through all of these answers, we'll find a single habit of the heart. To be in the world nonviolently means learning to hold the tension of opposites trusting that the tension itself will pull out hearts and minds open to a third way of thinking and acting. And then there are so many sections in your book where you talk about that. I just sort of picked one at random. Uh, this is from page 192 in Rocksteady. Say, take a look at your inner thoughts and beliefs. What is your relationship to yourself? How are you talking to yourself? What is your inner dialogue? This is going to impact on your neural firing, your neuroplasticity, and your healing. These insight exercises are part of nurturing our spiritual and mental health. Take a kind and gentle look at your own thoughts. And you repeat this over and over and over again. To me, it seems as though so much of your book and so much of your work is about sitting in that gap between the tension between these opposites and sitting in it with an open, loving, and kind heart, and a compassionate heart, and that healing, all of the, the specifics of how to heal uh, are anchored in this sense of nonviolence towards yourself, towards whatever ails you, and then from that place, being able to call up those inner resources that you so beautifully articulate and offer in your programs and in your book. So can you talk about that, how that, how sitting in that gap has been for you, that tension between the medical model and, and the kind of violence inherent in it, and then this other way of being, how did that emerge for you? It's such an on-point question, because <clears throat> it's like, a it's funny, it's like you can read my mind, that's exactly the conversation I've been digesting myself over the last few days preparing for this call. Um, but I think I, back when I was a student and I was working with all the elite medical staff, and I, I still respect them, it's, it's not, I think it's important to to suggest it's not almost like active conscious violence, it's more just violence that's embedded in a system that happens by default, yeah. not because people are, are mean or, or, or anything like this. <clears throat> but I was really an observer. And I think I really felt a deep empathy and connection for these patients and clients who were clearly falling through the gaps and not getting their needs met, not being listened to. And I actually went through a really angry phase where I had to face a lot of anger at the treatment of these patients and it just wasn't okay with me. 
Um, and that was, of course, eating me up a little bit. So I had to learn what to do with all of that anger. Um, but I, I really felt like there was a, a deep lack of leadership, role modeling and mentoring in, in how to implement healing because the conversation was too often, try this drug, try this device, try this generic physical exercise or diet and deal with it. And, and, and the other funny thing was each professional with their elite training, which is a tiny piece of expertise, it's not the whole person approach, which it probably stems in that pattern of violence, is we're not looking at a whole human, we're looking at an ear or a thought process or, you know, drug cocktail meddling. So each each expert genuinely, I think, felt that the expert beside them would solve it. And that was what I noticed as I was interning, and it's a very privileged position actually to be working alongside psychologists, psychiatrists, neurologists, ear, nose and throat surgeons, physiotherapists and so on, and everyone really being the best at their field. And this sense that they were all referring on. And it's like, come on, we can't all refer on. That's that's exhausting and expensive. So, <clears throat> so from that tension and that anger and that place, I had to go from being like a, a devoted little student who looked up to the experts and authorities to really levelising and equalising myself from being actually I have my own expertise and have the courage to give myself permission and pull back, isolate myself a bit and create an entirely new paradigm that was more in alignment with my my soul and my, in particular, my emotional understanding of the world. And it was from that place that the tension resolved and Rocksteady became an experiment. It's so interesting because without that anger, which you said was eating you up a bit inside, you would not have had the impetus or the power to step out of the student role and out of the, you know, um, sort of starry-eyed intern role and into your own leadership. And so, and, and so much of what you talk about is really embracing all of what you're feeling, embracing every single feeling as being part of the gift uh, of your life. Uh, And anger is one of them too. And yet the tension is there in experiencing it, expressing it, but expressing it in a way that leads to a positive outcome rather than letting it fill your world so that you become blind to anything else. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's incredibly familiar, I think, to many of the people listening to this call, whether they're live or future listeners, because as we engage in our healing process, I think most of us will come to some low point where there's a deep hopelessness, helplessness, pain, anger, resentment, kind of all of it, and it comes to that that kind of tension turning point where it's like well I have I just have to try something differently maybe I have to look within and start to shift where I place my energy and that's what I call taking our power back because suddenly instead of looking outside here for my answers and going to all of those experts and getting stuck in the goose chase of referrals and disappointments we start to look within and honour and acknowledge all the information we're collecting from that outer world and those expert authorities 
who are worth listening to, but we no longer put all of our faith and give our power away to them and we take that back. And that's really the rock steady process and I had to really fully embody that and walk that in my own way on so many levels and it really continues. You know, even in the pregnancy I, I get all these different sensations and feelings and part of me is like, oh, my God. Am I okay? And then I have to be like, well, maybe this sensation is totally normal for this situation, you know, and just constantly coming back to accepting and being curious and open to what I'm feeling in, on a daily basis instead of falling back into that old rigid psychological inflexibility of how I think things should be, showing up more openly to how things actually are. I mean, that that is the base skill behind the rock steady way of life. Were you a curious child? Is that I curiosity mean, something that, that that you had as a child? <clears throat> I think so, and particularly relating to humans. I think I was very fascinated by people um, and nature. And, it, and I was thinking back to my childhood because you prompted me with some questions just the other day and there was this dichotomy, you know, part of me knew my power, spoke my words, would look at adults straight in the eyes at a very young age and speak to them as equals. So I, I kind of had a sense of my wholeness and my belonging on the planet. And I think I was very fascinated. I remember climbing trees and staring at ants and just being fascinated watching what, the pattern they would make, you know. But then there was also this other part of me that was felt very unsafe, felt very anxious, felt very dismissed, stifled, put down, kind of go back in your box, young thing. Um, so I, I kind of feel like I was always in this tension between my peaceful inner world and how I viewed myself. And then of course the confusing anxiety of trying to fit into a world of other people who told me I should be something else and, yeah. and that's and that is so much the experience of so many people on this planet you know that that for some reason we I mean we're born knowing who we are there isn't a baby that's born not knowing who they are and then we encounter the world and its various opinions about who we should be and how we should be and this is how it's done and this is not how it's done and that starts to obscure the the depth of our inner knowing so can you talk about some can you tell me a story tell us your story how did you you know how did you navigate that confusion and that tension as a child yeah and then when did your childhood end and did it end because of biology or did it end because you were pushed? Uh, and how did you find your way here? I know that's a very big question, but. Yeah, I've been, I've been contemplating it. I think um, my dad's memory of me as a child is that I lit up a room. You know, I was cheerful, I was confident, I've always been an all-rounder, you know, you could, I could do sport, I could do music, I was academic. I wouldn't say I was the best at anything, but I was highly competent and I could participate willingly in any environment. And I was socially able. 
Um, so my dad's memory of me is, you know, this kind of bright spark. Whereas I was doing a lot of pretending and actually on the inside feeling on the fringe, never really wanting to be part of cliques. In fact, finding clicky friendships a bit daunting and scary. So kind of dipping in and dipping out. Um, and my memory of mum was she would say things to me like you always figure things out like you're highly independent you know I don't even worry about you 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 get yourself in a pickle you get yourself out of the pickle so um so my parents were kind of fostering this expectation and um I suppose structure for me to live in which was of being competent cheerful independent and you know kind of street smart um but deep down I think I was also highly sensitive um you know I I had really debilitating asthma from less than one years old so just trying to breathe was difficult for me um and um yeah I think in many ways some of those sensitivities fell through and I had to just suppress them, deal with them, do what I could at whatever age I was. And, um, yeah, so I think a lot of my childhood was half authentic and half faking it, (laughs) you know, and I'm not completely proud of that, but I realize what's probably really normal and that's how we function in society. Um, and then I, th- I think my childhood, I, I grew up by the beach in a village, you know, safe. I had 11 kids in my primary school group, so a really small primary. So that's under the age of 12 or 11. And then went to high school, which was okay, but it was an all-girls school, so lots of challenges there with mingling. And um, then by the time I was 13 and starting to become hormonal, etc., that that was probably when my childhood ended because I was suddenly thrown into a city. So from like a village situation to a city, I was in a public boys and girls school, so co-ed. And just because of the northern, southern hemisphere kind of thing going on and because I was brainy, they kind of put me up a year. So all of my peers were 15 or 16 years old even. And I was only 13. Um, and so from a social level, you know, the conversations were now about sex, drugs, rock and roll, and it was, you know, boys having full on fist fights and blood everywhere. And, and that was really probably when my childhood ended because I was expected to keep up. Wow. That must've been horrifying for a really sensitive child. Yeah. But I, I guess I was also fascinated because I was fascinated by people and, mm. and even if people are doing crazy things and and things I don't understand, because let's face it, I didn't really have the social training. Um, so a lot of the trauma I discovered in hindsight at the time, I was just kind of quietly observing and floating in it and trying to hold my own. Um, but yeah, so at that age of 13 was, you know, when I had my first menstruation, my, also, my first experience of sexual abuse was a lot of, it was a big year. And I, I shut a lot of it down. I felt dirty and ashamed and, you know, from that point on kind of decided not to trust people. And so that really, really impacted my becoming an adult years. 
and I wasn't aware I did that until I was just on the verge of turning 30 and it kind of came up accidentally in a therapy session. So all through your 20s, you held all of this inside yourself and you didn't share it with anybody? I tried to share it a few times, but it was always laughed off. So I, you know, I, I didn't realize the depth of it. And I didn't have any of that inner understanding of my inner world yet. I was still really going through the ropes of high school and then university and all the rites of passage of being a 20-year-old. But by the time I got to my late 20s, my friends were getting married, having kids, and I was like, why am I still not really interested in having a boyfriend or really at that space of being able to have one? You know, I was like, what, there's something going on. And and that was, that was kind of what prompted me, I think, to, to look into if there was anything deeper. So Um, had you blotted out those experiences? Are you saying they were not in your consciousness anymore? Pretty much. Mm. Yeah. And so the, the the belief and the pattern was just men aren't safe. No one's safe. You know, it was it was it's kind of a me versus the world feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that kind of ties in with my vertigo and tinnitus experience, which was the same age, like in the late twenties. So my brother had broken his neck, and I became a primary carer and very active in supporting him and advocating for him as a neuroplasticity kind of. Um, from that perspective and that education, I was really helping him advocate for himself with the doctors. Um, And when anyone gave him specific diagnoses or said, you're never this again, you're never that again, I said, Dan, they just can't do that. They don't know what will change within your biology. It's not okay for them to say things like that to you. So um, a lot of my energy went there. I did have a boyfriend that that broke down, so that relationship ended. And I I had a lot of kind of traumas, and that ended up in a depletion and exhaustion, depression, anxiety, and kind of migraine symptoms and vestibular and tinnitus symptoms. And, um, again, it was that feeling of aloneness and trying to reach out for help and trying to ask for support, and not just from the medical world, mind you, like even kinesiologists or spirit healers, whatever. I was on the journey. But just feeling so, so, so alone and a really, really poignant turning point, which I've, I've mentioned with my Rocksteady community, was when I lay down in Shavasana and I, I gave myself a funeral. I literally went through death. Like I was so depleted and low that I just lay flat on the floorboards in my share house where I was living in Melbourne and I visualised pushing a button, you know, one was to live and one was to die and I pushed the one to die. And I just was like, okay, this is it. I'm going to say goodbye to the trees and the birds and my family and my friends. And I did this kind of inner process of like a fake suicide, I suppose you would call it. Um, and I just lay there dead and was like, okay, so like what next? And just like enjoyed the nothingness of it all until something inside of me, that little flame was like, it's time to get up now. It's, you know, It might have been 20 minutes later and it took me forever to sit up. And then I sat up and was like, well, what next? And um, something inside of me was just go lay in the sun. So I walked to the local swimming pool and lay in the sun and I just let the sun warm me. And from that day onwards, I started to heal. That was when Rocksteady started because I 
I started to take responsibility for myself, my body, my feelings. Um, you know, I was big at journaling, and that and that was something inside of me really dramatically changed. Um, yeah. It's so interesting because everyone has their own process of how they get to that point of saying, I give up, I give in. And then on the other side of that is a kind of resurrection. Uh, and for some people it happens, you know, incrementally. For some people it happens the way you describe it for you where sort of many years of suppression and then coming to that place of just the suffering is more than I want to carry on with. And then coming to the other side of that. And it replicates in so many ways what you describe about your, your client's journey. Mm. You know, it may not be as dramatic as that, but it is that going from one place to the next and asking for help and, and receiving these diagnoses that with, you say something in the book about, you know, you're very um, respectful of what physicians do, um, and and and, but but that their job is to provide the physical diagnosis. Their job is not to provide healing or a cure, and that if you're looking to them for that, um, you're going to be stuck for a long time until you realize that that isn't their task. And it seems to me that so much of what you're describing is coming to that place, you know, starting with not trusting people, shutting down your own feelings, not, not letting yourself need anything or anybody, uh, and then coming to this place of, of, okay, this is my responsibility. And I will take all of the help I can get, but I will filter it through my own discernment and through what I know uh, and trust myself first. Uh, and that I think is what's so powerful about the Rock Study program and about this book. Yeah. And is that you live it, you know, you've lived it. Yeah. And it's definitely ongoing, um, you know, in that there's always that seduction and that want to lean on other people and rely on other people um, and, and having to kind of pull myself back and say, okay, you know, is this a good use of my energy and, and the life force and power I've been given if I just go and throw it over there and wait for that person to do my work for me? It, it's such a constant coming back home and, and checking in and being authentic and real um, with my inner world, which is obviously, I think, something we get better at with maturity. You know, what's really going on for me? Mm -hmm. But then also having the discernment to, to be with the outer world as it is, not as we want it to be or think it should be, but to really be with the outer world as it is and say, well, you know, how can I dance with this? How can I work this to my favor? Because I can't expect miracles and if there's people around me who either don't have the skills or they're exhausted or they're struggling, how can I expect them to pick me up and hold my flame for me? Mm -hmm. um, and that's been particularly um, kind of 
salient during the COVID situation where just the community is exhausted and where there may have been very willing, happy, resilient supporters, in my case, for the process of a pregnant woman, now they're tired and, you know, they might be struggling to put meals on the family, you know, meals for their family and getting their kids through homeschooling and, um, you know, life's really kind of draining and challenging people and systems are breaking down, systems that, that people may have been blindly believing in mm-hmm. are falling apart. Um, and these are the systems I was identifying as broken, you know, 10 years ago when, when, mm-hmm. I, when I started making the rock steady path and saying, actually back yourself, mm-hmm. trust your body and back yourself because the system is not going to do that for you. Yeah. And the whole world is waking up to that, not just, I mean, there's, there isn't one global system. It's an intermeshed uh, collection of systems that we are participating in and that affect us at every level. So if, what is your, what is your biggest dream for Rocksteady, for this book, for your work, for, for your body of work? What would you love to see happen? That's a big question. Um, what would I love to see happen? I think, I, I guess in, in simple terms, it's that people who identify with these not quite right sensations and sensory distortions, etc., that they, that they have somewhere to go and someone to turn to and, 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 relevant accurate information to base their choices on because what used to anger me and now really saddens me is there are millions of people out there with some kind of dizziness or tinnitus or not quite right feeling it really could it could affect any of the senses is that they they're basically being misinformed and disempowered and for some people this leads to absolutely debilitating outcomes you know aren't they they, they feel unable to keep doing their job or simple things like drive a car, bend over and pick up their kids, relationship breakdowns. And I would love these people to have early access to the Rocksteady educational system. And that's what it is. It's an educational program that teaches people to say there's a different way of looking at this. Mm-hmm. And every doctor you speak to speaks some truth and has a perspective that is valid, but it doesn't mean that's the that's the only perspective or the only truth or the only one you have to listen to, you know. There's another side to the story, which is, you know, what if your body is talking to you? What if these sensations and dizzy feelings and out-of-body... So in my case, I think my body was calling me home. I was disembodied. I was disassociated. I wasn't connected. And um, that was part of my apprenticeship I I had to learn how to feel again and how to feel safe with feeling which is so common on the rock steady path so instead of kind of treating the body as a broken vehicle that should this or should that and go to the doctor and get a quick fix I think the rock steady journey says well what if there's actually a physical mental emotional spiritual pattern here and this is an invitation and opportunity to decode it and understand at a deeper level what's my body communicating to me because my body doesn't speak English. It speaks the language of sensations. 
So I suppose my dream is that no matter what language you speak, you have access to the Rocksteady educational system and and access to that freedom to mm-hmm. recover normal, to, to create a new normal. And as I discussed, so chapter one kind of invites people to be the leader in their investigative process to seek medical clearance and then to look at deeper levels, the invisible levels that doctors can't access, their mental, emotional, spiritual. So chapter one's kind of about becoming your own leader and then all the way towards the end of the book, chapter 10's about saying we can't be who we were and it's a really dysfunctional goal to say, well, I just want to be who I was, that that, that person and really opening up, again, the invitation of saying, all right, well, if I'm going to redesign myself from scratch and build new neural pathways and meet myself in real-time presence here and now, inner and outer world dancing together and colliding, what would that new normal look like? And having the courage to dream and to design that new normal, that's the freedom, that's taking our power back. And I guess that is my dream for the Rocksteady book, the audio book, the online program, is that more and more people have access to the book, can find it, and timely, you know, not not after 10 years of struggling, perhaps, mm-hmm. perhaps only after a few months of being on the internet and searching and, and finding those resources. Well, it's so wonderful that it is being translated into all these different languages because each culture adds its own layer of nuance and, and complexity to these issues of sovereignty, right? Yeah. I mean, it's essentially sovereign leadership of your own life. Um, and we as a, I mean, as a global species are facing that same question. I, you cannot go back. We cannot go back to who we were. We cannot go back to living the way we were. We have to find another way. And the thing that struck me about what you said was, you know, we have to find the courage to say, okay, I'm going to do this. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's it's easy, I suppose, to say to a doctor or even a mentor or a coach, you know, so what next? Tell me what to do next. And I have people email me, just tell me what to do on the hour, every hour, Joey, and I'll do it. And I'm like, Um, that's that's a a really nice idea but it takes courage to say actually no I need to pause listen and respond and if there was one key verb that was the heart of rocksteady it would be respond you know it's not about living a reactive life it's about pausing feeling having that inner knowing of what I'm feeling in the here and now having the courage to say, well, this is actually what I want to sense and feel and how do I close that gap in real time (laughs) with real implementable functional skills and tools so it's not just daydreaming or throwing money and blind faith anywhere or being who we think we should be or just doing what some expert tells me to do. It's really pausing and and taking a much more simple approach. But I, I, I feel it's simple and and profound yeah it's that essential need to develop a relationship with ourselves with our bodies with our understanding of who we are and why we're here and then with the world around us 
you know, it's taking a relational approach because ultimately that's the only reality. We don't exist outside of relationship. And anytime that, you know, as you say, somebody's coming to you and saying, tell me what to do and I'll do it. <laughs> it's like wanting to somehow leap over the work of relationship. Yeah. And, you know, reading my book is is not going to solve everything. And I'm actually stunned by how many people have said reading the book has helped ease their depression, anxiety, insomnia, so many things. Like I'm really stunned because it's like the trailer, like Mm -hmm. the Rocksteady book is like a snippet of the beginning. And that's why there is the more complete comprehensive 12 week program that kind of is ongoing. And um, that really dives into more of the work and more of the listening and responding and experimenting and, and also having access to the peer community. And um, I think the book is a wonderful introduction to the science and the why. And then the program has just so many more skills and tools, but really that peer support, listening to people heal, listening to their mm-hmm. questions. Um, there's so much nourishment in sharing the process of healing and sharing the humanity. Yeah. And... I love that you've created, you truly have created an educational experience, starting with the book, which is like the front door, the entryway into the world of Seeking Balance and the Rocksteady program. And then you've created this really robust, rich, beautifully practical program that walks people through that process of change and transformation and becoming the leaders of their own health and their own healing. And you've provided the community within which that can happen. Um, I would love to see um, centers, you know, in China and in Russia and in the Ukraine and in Spain and all over the world. Um, of people taking this material, using it to begin to heal themselves, but then translating it into the rest of their lives. Because ultimately it's a book about, well, it's not just a book, but it's a book and a program about how to be the leader of your own life and then how to take a leadership role in the stewardship of the world, right? Definitely. And and also having having that sense of importance and not not from an ego or elitist perspective but actually I'm an important contributor to this planet yeah I have an important role to play and and again coming back to that courage having the courage to stop pause and feel what's going on for me where am I what's happening in the world around me and how can I really weave my gifts into this space um and there will be little, I think, kind of um, cheerleaders along the way. Like at, when I was at university and I'd graduated and I'd interned and I was doing the work and a neurologist pulled me aside and said, don't you ever forget you're an expert. Like don't look up to these doctors like they know more than you. You are highly trained in the inner ear, far more than the average doctor. And he really lay it down and was like, own your expertise. Mm-hmm. don't cower and like what a gift is that you know he didn't have to say that but there will be little cheerleaders along the path in your life that 
that indicate, you know, this is a special gift you have. And then how can we nourish ourselves and care for ourselves and allow our wholeness and our health to, to replenish so that we can honour that gift and give back to the ecology of the planet and be contributing towards the healing of the earth and the healing of people and the healing of systems and structures. Um, and I kind of laugh now because a really big motivator for me in starting Rocksteady was I wanted to be a role model for my daughters. I wanted to show that I could have babies and breastfeed and be financially independent, contribute to the world and not sit back and rely on a husband. And that had never been done in any of my my lineage. So I'm the first female professional um, who's not you know, a nurse or a teacher or, or most likely relying on a husband for financial support. <coughs> um, and I've given birth to almost two boys now, so it's kind of funny <laughs> that one of my biggest motivators, um, I guess, is, you know, again, it's giving back to the planet and just being, being the best version of me. And, and again, I think what I learned in that process of desiring a daughter, and that was my inner feminist, you know, really, I want to bring up a woman who knows her body and knows consent. And, um, and the reality is it's not men versus women or non-binaries and all like just totally letting go of all of these labels has been so refreshing for me. Um, because everything I would want to role model and teach my daughters, of course, I would want to do exactly the same thing with my sons. Yeah. If they choose to identify as men, you know, just holding everything much more lightly and understanding that we're all children of the earth. There's sons and daughters everywhere. We're like this big extended family. And, um, yeah, that was, was kind of an interesting process in and of itself, having a very strong desire that brought me to tears, like wanting a daughter. But then just being happy with wanting a daughter and not needing the outcome of actually having a daughter, like being quite content with just the wanting. Mm-hmm. And the outcome no longer mattered. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that's, again, this dancing with the inner world and the outer world, what's actually showing up, what's my inner world expressing and being able to move and flow and hold it lightly without getting really stuck and depressed about it or clinging and grasping. So that was actually a really beautiful lesson for me in the end. It's that relationship between desire and reality, right? and, and, And not suppressing either one, but holding both with love and and truth and compassion. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I so love about you, Joey, is that you live your truth. You, everything that you write about, everything that you teach comes from your experience and is grounded in your own everyday um, practice. Just, I mean, we're all always just practicing. None of us are ever there because there is no there, there to get to. Uh, but you embody that so gracefully and with so much love and with so much honesty. Um, it's a real privilege to know you. Mm, thank you. And, and Hero, you have definitely been a loving backboard and container for me to have all of these experiments and um, 
my little inner drama queen didn't get mentioned too much today, but she's there and she's in me and I've had to really learn to hold her and love her. <laughs> and, you know, she's probably about four and she's, um, and I think, you know, without your support, I would still be holding a lot more shame about, or even disgust towards parts of myself that I don't want to know and I don't want to go there. And you've just really beautifully held this sense of love. And I think I remember one day um, you just started laughing. Like, this is, I'm probably all in a mess or whatever, dramatic. And you were just like, I love your inner four-year-old. She's just adorable. <laughs> but it gave me the role modeling and the opportunity to do the same then to myself mm-hmm. and to see her differently. And, you know, those little tiny steps of self-compassion, self-kindness, I mean, self-kindness is huge. Self-love, self-appreciation. I'm really big actually on self-awe, like just having a sense of awe for the miracle of being alive, you know, you know, mm-hmm. this incredible body that does so many things I don't understand and just really being in a, in that childlike sense of like, wow. And yeah, yeah, so I I really thank you for holding me in my explorations. And you were the one who sat down one day and said, Joey, it's time you write a book. And I knew I had to write a book and I wanted to get married and have children. And like, I, I had an idea of where I was heading and you really helped me gracefully write the book, pause the book, birth a baby, publish the book, (laughs) fall pregnant again and like relaunch the audio book and everything. And and I I just, yeah, I'm really happy with the audio book. I think the narrator did a fabulous job. I loved listening to it. I was like, this is a great book. (laughs) (laughs) She's speaking with a beautiful North American accent, which I really like. Um, mm. and her name is Suhaila Alata, and so I just want to thank her. She did a beautiful job, and I, I hope I hope the book, the audiobook, really resonate with people who listen in. So yeah, thank you, Hero, for um, helping me make all this oh, magic. Thank you. It's truly, honestly, been a, a gift to walk with you through this process. Um, before I know we're kind of running out of time, I would just like to ask, is there anything that you would like your community to know about you um, that they don't yet? Hmm. Uh, probably just that we're all mirrors of each other, you know, and I, I really try and share my humanness with my community. And there's so many times I, I, I meet myself in really uncomfortable ways and uh, I have my community to thank really because sometimes I'll go to these places and, and I, I still go through these little mini suicidal thought episodes. You know, I can, I've got such a blessed life, but at the click of a finger I can be like, I've tried everything, nothing works, I just want to die. You know, this is the inner drama we're talking mm-hmm. about. Um, and I'm so much better at holding that now and having love for myself in those situations. I'll often go and talk to the moon and my husband reminds me it's a floating rock in the orbit of the earth. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. I talk to the moon. 
<laughs> and um, my community really hold me because in those moments, I'm like, I'm sure there's like a thousand rock steady people out there right now feeling this and I'm feeling with them and I share it. And it really grounds me and holds me and, and it helps me quite quickly come back to love and I guess a sense of self-respect and that it's okay to feel this way. And I think in order for me to continue holding the Rocksteady community, it's important that I have these really grounding experiences of, of difficulty and struggle because I am symptom-free. I don't really get dizziness or tinnitus anymore, but I still get life. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, my community really inspire me to keep digging deeper and meeting myself in those uncomfortable places and they inspire me to, to keep my heart open, I suppose, and to not give up. So I guess I want to thank the community because in my most difficult moments, a lot of the time I feel a great responsibility for showing up and you guys help pull me out. Mm. So That's beautiful. Thank you. Um, can you just tell people very quickly where they can buy the book and where they can get the audiobook and where they can learn more about the Rocksteady program? I mean, a lot of people who are on this call probably already know, but there may be others. I think going to my website is probably the best place, seekingbalance.com.au, and there's a link that will take you to avenues for the book. For the audiobook, just Google Rocksteady audiobook. It will pop up straight away. And my understanding is you can you can buy them on various platforms of your choosing, so it doesn't have to be through Audible. Um, so search in your favorite places, search in your favorite bookshops, request it from your favorite bookshop. They'll order it in for you if it's not already arrived. Um, did I answer all of those questions? But the, the website should be the main place mm -hmm. for any questions and if you do get stuck because you're in an obscure part of the world which happens and we've had requests for Hebrew translations and and all sorts of <clears throat> interesting and exotic translations let Mandy know you know d dive on the website use the administrative or rocksteady at seekingbalance.com.au email address and Mandy will help you navigate how to best access the book and keep putting requests forward for more translations that's wonderful. I want to wish you just the most easeful, beautiful birth. Thank you. And uh, we will be holding this this space for your new baby to arrive. Oh, oh my goodness. Beautiful. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have to say this was such a gift just to hear you talk about your background Joey and Hero your questions were so you know cu curious and thought-provoking and um, it was really special hearing you talk about your childhood Joey just as you're about to give birth yourself and to talk about your your own sons in and you know and to hear about your background so thank you for this it was a really amazing conversation and I wish you the very best as your family grows. Thank you so much, Trina, and thanks to Paige too. You've done a really impressive job, and it was it was a tricky task shifting this book around and getting it out into the world in different mediums. And I really appreciate all the stresses that you've taken from my shoulders, and it's been I really appreciate it. Thank you. 
Thanks, Joey. You're just such a joy for everybody to work with. Great. Beautiful. Um, I think we might leave it there unless anybody has any pertinent questions to what Hiro and I have just discussed. I would be happy to field a, one or two questions. Um, someone's typed in along the lines of how do people make a living while trying to rediscover themselves? And I think that answer is going to be different for everybody, but I, I do know that something that is really important with recovery is just having that sense of self-belief that you've got enough resources within you and around you to to navigate that very tricky path. And that, that could mean asking for help in places you may not have previously asked for help in. And also just the part-time approach. You know, we do what we can. We have to have a roof over our heads and food in our belly. We have to have those really essential needs met before we can dive deep. And I think prioritizing that um, that that sense of you know financial material resource um, is a part of the rock steady process you know we, we, we can't we can't take an all or nothing approach and even as I was leaving the university going through my own healing and starting rock steady I didn't just do that you know, I started at four days a week at the university and then three days a week and then two days a week and then one day a week until I really felt like I had the robustness to go it on my own. It was a, it was a process. So I, I hope that kind of helps answer your question, but everyone's process will be different. And, and to get, I would encourage and invite you to get really creative with, um, with, with how you resource yourself and how you seek help and support in new ways. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much. I've, I have been noticing the comments coming through and thank you for all of your support. Thank you to my community. Um, I might be taking a short break, but I will let everybody know when the baby comes. I'm delighted it didn't, that um, little <laughs> baby didn't choose to come on the call. <laughs> um, yeah, so... I just want to say thank you so much to Trina and Paige too. Hero, thank you so much. You inspire me. And, oh, we have a special gift from Hero too that will be emailed out. Oh, right. Yes. Let them know on the email. Mm. Yeah. So that's um, – Enjoy. Yeah. And Hero is a master of helping us take a different perspective, which is a huge part of healing. We get locked in this rigid idea of how the world should be. And Hero is absolutely masterful of saying, well, what about thinking about what would life be like as a flower? You know, really shifting into different ways of relating to the world and experiencing the world. And her book, To Do Soul, Be Soul, which I have, I have the audio book and the hard copy book, is like a lovely play with this thought experiments. Did you want to say something, Hero? No, I just wanted to say blessings and um, I'll be thinking of you this, Thank you this so much. next week. Yeah. Great. And we'll be All in right. touch via email and I'll send you out that gift. Well, we're talking tomorrow anyway, unless baby arrives before then. So, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. But I mean, for the greater audience, I'll send them out your right. gift of yes. or be soul and email. So check that out. It's, okay. it's a really wonderful offering. Mm -hmm. Good. Bye, everybody. Right. Have a beautiful day. Bye. 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 Bye.